0: Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done.
1: The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and Premier Sponsor q Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at cuttereconomicforum.com.
2: From the heart of where innovation, money, and power collide, in Silicon Valley and beyond, this is Bloomberg Technology with Emily Chang.
3: I'm Chang in San Francisco and this is Bloomberg Technology coming up in the next hour. What's old is new and that goes for Netflix, which is starting to look a lot more like traditional cable as it announces its ad supported plan to launch in November. Details this hour. Plus, now you can turn any credit or debit card into a Bitcoin rewards card, thanks to the rewards app, Lowly. We'll talk about the company's mission to make Bitcoin more accessible to all with CEO Alex Adelman and investor Alexis Ohanian. And Apple Card users can see rewards automatically deposited into new accounts thanks to its extended partnership with Goldman Sachs. We'll talk about Apple's continued fintech push. All that in a moment, but first stocks surging, roaring back from that sell-off sparked by hot inflation numbers. How did tech fare? Well, our Ed Ludlow has been watching it all day. Ed, what did you see?
0: Yeah, I mean, it was a wild ride. The hot CPI or inflation print from September really reinforced this idea that the Fed is going to be aggressive or remain aggressive uh, with its uh, rate hike path. Um, but the market kind of stayed sanguine. When we look at volatility data like the CBOE VIX um, or VIX index, you know, the market didn't seem to panic and it kind of surging back on the NASDAQ 100 and the S&P 500, we saw swings of more than 5%, 5 to 6%. At one point, the, the NASDAQ 100 was down by 3%. And if you'll allow me, um, let's get technical. Let's get technical together and look at this Bloomberg terminal <laughs> chart because It was interesting. Technical levels did seem to play a key role here. At one point, the benchmark S&P 500 was was down back below 50% below its post-pandemic rally, you know, at their 3,500 level mark, and that seems to trigger some program buying. And what I'm saying, in other words, is the algos kicked in to rebalance the market, and that was a key factor this Thursday.
3: So let's dig into tech and, and, and how tech fared here, because right. there, it's been an absolutely dreadful few days.
0: Yeah, a few days and, and a few weeks, right, while r- rates have been pushing higher. You know, the NASDAQ 100, the NYSE FANG Plus index, uh, the Philadelphia Semiconductor index, you name it, they've all kind of underperformed the broader market. In this case, we're looking at the S&P 500 as the benchmark for US equities. And we know the story, right? Higher rates discount the present value of future profits, particularly for corners of the tech market that are pre-profit or trade at stretched multiples. But there is debate out there about how tech fares. Because when we think about the mega caps, for example, you look at the names like Microsoft and Google, they're down more than 30% year to date, really trailing the S&P 500. But there's also confidence that in a recessionary environment, and if the Fed goes too far with with rate hikes, we do have a recession. In that recessionary environment, mega cap tech fares better because it has an entrenched market position, strong balance sheet. We're not seeing that play out in the market right now, but there is a, a feeling that if we do move towards the word recession in substantive terms, that you might see tech as a strong play.
3: And we can't talk about markets without talking chips. Obviously, a huge week uh, in the semiconductor industry right. so far and one that maybe they'd, they'd rather forget, but, but how are we trending?
0: Yeah, so the Philadelphia Semiconductor Index or SOX was higher on Thursday after five straight days of declines. It's been really downtrodden, right? We've been talking all week about how there's a real slowdown in consumer electronics and the PC market. In other words, the end markets where those chips go into. The latest news overnight was from TSMC, one of the leading fabs in the world that cut capital spending plans. And that's a real signal to the world of tech that it's expecting a slowdown in demand for chip manufacturing. The other big story of course, playing out is this ramp up in tensions between the US and China. But we're on an upward trajectory, at least for Thursday. And as, as we've shown in the last couple of minutes on the screen, the SOX has really underperformed the broader market to date. The question is, when do we bottom out? And how much further does that slow down in demand for the end markets for chips? How much further does that have to run?
3: All right. Lundlow thank you. Meantime, Netflix will reduce introduce an advertising-supported plan on November 3rd, charging a $7 a month for subscriptions. The streaming service hopes to attract price-sensitive customers at a time when growth has plateaued. Joining us now, uh, Chris Palmieri, of course, who covers helps us cover Netflix and the entertainment industry. So how competitive, Chris, would you say this price tag is?
4: Very competitive. You know, this was a lot lower than people anticipated. Seven dollars a month is a dollar below what Disney Plus' new uh, ad-supported service is going to be, a dollar below Hulu, three dollars below the HBO Max uh, ad-supported service. So, this is really Netflix, you know, putting a stake in the ground and saying, we are here to get more customers out of this new plan.
3: Uh, to- about the bigger picture and, you know, how this will play out and, you know, what we've talked about is a sea of streaming services, you know, so many options out there in terms of where to get your content, you know, is it, is it really this price that gives Netflix that much more of an edge?
4: Well, this this is a big moment in the evolution of streaming because you know Netflix founder Reed Hastings had long, you know, fought having ads on his service. He thought that you know not having ads was a big differentiator from traditional TV, and of course it was. But we've now seen the whole industry evolve toward having various options. You know, Hulu, for example, has, has built a multi-billion-dollar business with advertising and potentially that will be the same at Netflix and so everyone now has these different tiers of plans giving consumers the options. The irony is that the streaming business now looks a lot like traditional tv and unlike traditional tv you can't even record the shows and then skip the ads you're kind of going to force to watch the ads if, if that's the plan you choose.
3: Our colleague Lucas Shaw has a new piece out in Bloomberg Businessweek, uh, and the headline is Netflix's makeover is everything Ted Sarandos once hated. You know, you mentioned the word evolution, but you know, talk to us about just how, how different this is and, and sort of Ted Sarandos and, and Reed Hastings' new vision here.
4: There's so many ways uh, the company is changing because changing, basically everybody copied it, you know, from Disney to Time Warner and that. Everyone came out with streaming services. And so we're seeing, you know, not just the ad-supported things that, that, uh, that Reed didn't want, but you know, they're cracking down on password sharing, which was uh, for a long time they let anybody, you know, uh, share passwords. We're now seeing experimentation with the new Knives Out film is going to be uh, in theaters. For a week before it, a month before it comes to the streaming service, so we're seeing a lot of experimentation and changing in the old ways Netflix works, and they have to change because uh, you know their subscribers were down in the first half of this year.
3: Do you think competitors will make some moves as a result of what Netflix has announced here, and if so, what?
4: Well, to some degree, you know, Netflix is playing catch-up because a lot of the other folks have ad-supported services. And, and so we're just, you know, we're seeing a real evolution of the streaming business. We're seeing a lot more price competition. There's a lot more offers. And, you know, and, and, and all of these big media companies are using their traditional TV arms to promote their streaming services. They're putting some of their best shows on streaming first. So, it, you know, this is, this is a major, major fight in the streaming wars for sure.
3: So, uh, Chris, what's your outlook in terms of, you know, let's say where is the streaming industry a year from now? We've been talking about, you know, ESPN and potential M&A with sports betting. There's all of these, you know, potentially interesting and and unique moves coming in the midst of a major market downturn, you know, and and the streamers aren't going to be immune to that.
4: No, and, and you know we've seen cutbacks in spending at Netflix and uh, and a lot of the big companies. Uh, but there, it's very clear this is the way the industry is going. It, it's almost like shocking every week we see new evolution. You know, NBC, for example, considering taking away an hour of prime time. You know, big shows, Dancing with the Stars, a big hit on ABC forever. You know, now exclusively on Disney Plus, the Kardashians are only on Hulu. You know, so we're, we're seeing this massive migration, uh, you know, before our eyes, and, and that's not going to change. Uh, there is certainly going to be continued subscriber growth in streaming. And uh, hopefully, as the industry grows and rationalizes its spending, some profits as well.
3: All right. Bloomberg's Chris Palmieri will keep following your reporting on this great migration. Thank you for your insights there. Another story that we continue to watch, Meta has urged a judge to reject the FTC's attempt to block the company's acquisition of the virtual reality app Within Unlimited. Meta saying the agency's claims about competition in the area are based on pure speculation. The FTC alleges Meta would kill future competition in a new market. The last time the FTC brought such a case back in 2015 involving sterilization technology, the agency lost. Bitcoin become a global alternative currency? Well, at least that's the bet of the Bitcoin shopping rewards app. Lolly which just launched a new in-store earnings experience giving shoppers the ability to turn any credit or debit card into a Bitcoin rewards card for more on how it all works and what it means to launch this in the middle of major market uncertainty I want to bring in Lolly CEO Alex Edelman and Alexis Ohanian founder of the venture capital firm 776 which of course is backing uh, Lolly so Alexis of course you know you're an investor in so many things but I know that Lolly is really important to you what do you think is so unique about about this in-store earnings experience?
5: You know, one of the things that I've been obsessed with uh, from my very first investment in crypto, which was, was seeding Coinbase back in 2012, is the user experience. And something that Lolly has pioneered is bringing this accessibility in the form of cashback uh, through online shopping to so many people, delighting them. And so it just made sense, especially as the world is you know, now moved out of lockdowns, um, to make it even easier for people to earn Bitcoin just simply going through their normal purchasing habits. And Card Boost is a great way to do that.
3: Alex, tell us how it all works and how popular uh, you expect it to be given that We're in a downturn, Bitcoin's now back below 20,000, and you know, we just got a lot of questions about the future of the economy.
6: Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, I mean, we're on a mission to save people money and that money happens to be Bitcoin, which we believe is the best money in the world. Um, We save people on average about 7% on every transaction and upwards of 30%. So as we most likely go into a recession, it's uh, more important now than ever to be saving money at all your favorite places. And with the launch of this new Card Boost boost feature, uh, we went from a thousand merchants to over 10,000 merchants that you can earn from.
3: Alexis, what is your outlook on the markets right now, given you know, what we're seeing across tech shares, what we're seeing uh, in crypto, you know, the, the, the high inflation numbers? You know, Jamie Dimon just said he thinks the markets are gonna fall another, another 20%. How are you thinking about where this is going and how is that impacting your investment strategy?
5: Well, I think you hit the nail on the head. There's a lot of uncertainty right now. And in a way, uh, you know, products that are countercyclical because they're offering opportunities for consumers to save money uh, tend to do better in times of this kind of economic uncertainty. And so that's that certainly factored into why we were so excited about Lolly. And I think broadly, look, it, the, the, the big advantage to being an early-stage investor, working with CEOs from the very start, is no matter what the macro picture looks like, uh it is almost it is it is always a great time to be starting a company and almost more uh, opportunistic during times of this kind of you know volatility and uncertainty, uh, because it really it sobers up a CEO to have to focus on making something that people genuinely need genuinely want, that have viable business models and so in a way I you know it 's not that I look forward to these times, but I do think they bring out the best in new entrepreneurs who are solving real problems, and we have a lot of real problems that need solving, so we 're still active we 're mm-hmm. still busy investing and Obviously, uh, I want to see this economy, you know, get its legs back under it. But I, I agree it's going to take time.
3: What are you telling founders right now? You know, how are you telling them to navigate choppy conditions?
5: I uh, have a lot of <laughs> keep, keep cash on hand, you know, focus on reducing burn uh, and really isolate your focus of the company around not just growth at all costs, but but real scalable growth uh, focus on things like revenue focus on it, it's not going to be about the story of how quickly or how much you grew in the next six months a year uh, it's about how much you were able to accomplish with the money you had and ideally to get yourself in a cash flow positive situation uh, as soon as you can because then you're ultimately controlling your own destiny and it's not up to you or it's not up to other investors whether or not you get to the next round and What's exciting is the companies that ironically, you know, don't need those outside sources of capital are often the ones that have the most luck fundraising during times like this and you know, we've we've really enjoyed seeing the trajectory of Lolly and have have doubled down and excited to see it keep growing.
3: Alex, talk to us about how many people are using Lolly, the demographics and how they're actually using their rewards or are they holding? their
6: rewards? It's a great question. So we launched four years ago and we've already brought on over 500,000 Users uh, that are earning Bitcoin. Uh, These are across web with our uh, Chrome extension and mobile uh, with our new mobile app. So uh, a lot of users uh, where we are their first experience into crypto, and that's what we want to do. We want people to we want to teach people about Bitcoin. We want to teach people about the importance of this this new world that we're entering into, and you know save people a lot of money uh, in the process. Um, Right now, you know some of the most interesting statistics is that uh, over 30% of our users are female. When I first, um, in 2018, when I was first starting uh, Lolly with my co-founder, Matt, uh, what we found was that less than 4% of crypto users were female. And so we're very proud to share that uh, we're seeing a a dramatic increase um, given the nature of, of our business.
3: That's great to hear. Thank you for sharing that. Alexis, I'm curious for your outlook on crypto in particular as the market downturn continues. Uh, Bitcoin, for example, we're seeing slightly lower volume. Yes, less volatility, but the lower volume is kind of a red flag. What's your outlook for Bitcoin and, and for the broader crypto market, you know, beyond startups and other places where you're investing?
5: well look i've I have now been investing in building through multiple crypto winters. Uh, this is the time when the very best products are getting built when a lot of the the charlatans and the hype have have exited the building and, and the folks who are left are the folks who are genuinely building and solving real problems and so the next test for this next cycle for us to get to the next crypto spring, which I, I do think will come, is really going to hinge on user experience we you know we have an opportunity now to really expand uh the the base of folks who are finding value in this technology uh you know bitcoin rewards are one way and i think what's so interesting about it is we're also talking about in that, in the process of just having a lolly count basically being given your first uh crypto wallet and mm-hmm. through a really elegant user experience and e-commerce or even now brick and mortar commerce is something we all do Here's some cash back. It just happens to be in the form of a cryptocurrency, Bitcoin. And I really believe five, 10 years out, you know, we're going to continue to see more cycles. This is going to play itself out uh, all over again. Uh, but every single time we hit a new level of, of folks who are bought in, who have found utility, who have found value. And I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm I'm long term still very, very excited. There will continue to be volatility, but this is the exact time to be building. If you're a long-term believer in the tech. Uh, everything's everything's on sale right now. And I I think some great user experiences are going to get built in the next few years.
3: So last quick question to you, Alex, then if Lolly is a gateway to this first wallet for um, so many new users, more uh, women users, hopefully, how are you playing out a market downturn, a potential, you know, you know, a lengthened crypto winter into Lolly's business? How long does this last in your view?
6: Yeah. So, you know, as Alexis was saying, you know, uh, businesses that save people money do very well in recessionary times. Uh, our last company, um, my co-founder and I's last company, was acquired by Rakuten, formerly Ebates, uh, which had its biggest growth years uh, during the last recession. Uh, so, if we think, you know, if we can follow that that same path, uh, save people more money, and bring on more incredible merchants, uh, you know continue to build new technology, uh, we're going to do very well through this uh, recessionary time in this bear market. Um, because people are coming into Bitcoin with Lolly and getting it for free, they don't have to risk you know, investing in it. They're just shopping as they normally would at their favorite merchants and getting it back. So it really is a risk-free way of getting into crypto and continuing to dollar cost average in into Bitcoin.
3: All right. Well, we'll continue to track your product progress. Lolly CEO Alex Adelman and 776 founder Alexis Ohanian. Thank you both. From crypto winter to spring, potentially, we'll see how long it takes. OK, coming up, Apple Card users get ready to start saving. Details on the company's expanded partnership with Goldman Sachs. Next, this is Bloomberg.
7: What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? Easier said. Done.
2: What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash Enterprise Data to learn more.
3: Apple is teaming up with Goldman Sachs to create a new high-yield savings account for Apple credit card customers. The move building on the existing credit card partnership between these two companies. Joining us now with more, who else but Bloomberg's Mark Gurman. So what exactly have Apple and Goldman announced? What's new here?
8: So if you have the wallet app on your phone, which all iPhone users do, and you have the Apple Card, which is a collaboration on a credit card between Apple and Goldman Sachs, you will now be able to take your cash back rewards and put it into a new savings account built by Goldman in the wallet app so you can create or generate interest on those cash back uh, rewards.
3: This is Apple Card. Is this something that you think is going to be popular?
8: I do. I think that this is going to be a entry-level free savings account built into your phone for many people. I don't think people are going to want to store a lot of money in this account, but the ability to generate interest based on your cashback savings, that's between 1% and 3%. Sometimes they have 6% deals on some Apple products. Uh, I think is going to be interesting. Apple hasn't said what the interest rate is going to be on this account yet. Uh, for comparison, Marcus, which is the consumer savings account, high yield savings account from Golden right now, was 2.15% AP. Uh, I would imagine that Apple's will be around there as well. So yes, I I do think this is a, a major push from Apple, and it just shows how far they're willing to go in financial services.
3: So quickly, how does this fit into Apple's larger fintech strategy?
8: Yeah, So they have been rebuilding their entire technical infrastructure. And this is a new piece of that. They have an Apple Pay Later service coming. They're working on another one with Goldman Sachs for longer term, higher priced installments. So it all fits together. Apple wants to own payments and basically create the iBank. And this is a key part of that.
1: Ah,
3: The iBank is coming. All right, Mark Gurman, as always, uh, thank you for bringing us your reporting. Appreciate it. Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. I'm Emily Chang in San Francisco. While tech made a roaring comeback on the latest CPI print, one pocket of the market did get left behind. Bloomberg's Ed Ludlow here to tell us all about it. Ed.
0: Yeah. E-commerce and online retailers is really interesting. Amazon was one of only 17 stocks that closed lower on Thursday. The rest were pretty much those higher multiple pre-profit software companies that we were talking about earlier in the show. And I guess it's this one-two punch, right? We're worried about inflation and how that's going to impact the consumer at one point looking at Etsy closed down 9% at one point was down 12% following the CPI print its biggest drop since uh, June of this year and also looking at iBuy or Amplify ETF, ticker IBUY, which is kind of a basket of not just e-commerce stocks but also gig economy stocks, at one point had a really deep 3% drop, but it actually clawed a lot of that back to close three-tenths of a percent lower. There's also the question about Prime Day 2 we've been talking about this week. You see Amazon on the right-hand side of that chart, the big drop following the CPI print, it clawed its way back, but we're starting to hear noises from Amazon about how that October Prime early sales event Went, they said 100 million plus items were ordered from partners in Early access. What does that even mean, Emily? They're not giving us a dollar value. We're not getting any sense of size and scope of how this October window did relative to the last window. We have that third party data, which basically showed consumers were cautious. They spent less money on much cheaper items than perhaps they did in previous windows. I know that's not the picture that Amazon painted in our show this week, but the signs are that it wasn't as strong as perhaps we thought it would be, and it wasn't that much greater than any other day for Prime. So real focus right now on the consumer, especially in the context of inflation.
3: Okay, Ed, thank you. I want to stick to the markets, but from a private perspective, we've been talking a lot about the VC slowdown over the last few weeks, and there's now new data to support that. PitchBook is just out with the new report on VC dealmaking, fundraising, and exit numbers, and the picture is mixed. Let's bring in Kyle Stanford now, the lead VC analyst at PitchBook, for a deeper dive on this report. Kyle, thank you so much. So what is the data telling you about how the VC ecosystem is being hit by this?
9: Yeah, I think the, the data is really showing a very complex picture of what's happening in the venture market. Um, at one end, you have seed deals and uh, early stage deals that have been very strong, um, You know, lower than 2021, but much higher than we'd seen historically. And at the opposite side of the spectrum, uh, late stage has seen deal value plummet. Uh, Deals are are very difficult to get done there because of the proximity to the public markets. Um, So as we move forward, you know, we're really looking to see, you know, how that late stage is able to respond. Obviously, with the lack of IPOs, um, it's going to continue to be a difficult market. Um, But overall, the core of VC um, has shown to be able to still get deals done.
3: Now, uh, let's talk about the total money invested falling to a nine-quarter low. Where do we go from here?
9: I think, again, we really need to look at where that that deal value fall came from. Um, You know, crossover investors and public market investors especially had pumped so much capital into the venture market, uh, the expectation of what VC was really got inflated in 2021, now, as those investors have kind of pulled back, at least, especially from a dollar value standpoint, that deal value has dropped really significantly very fast. Uh, last year in mega deals, so 100 million and larger, there was $200 billion invested in. And 87% of those deals included investment from those you know, private equity funds or, or public market investors that had not traditionally been part of the market. Uh, So I think when we look at a deal value perspective, that is where the decline has come from. There's still a lot of dry powder out there and there's a lot of fun, a high number of funds ready to make investments. You know, while those investors are probably taking a step back from the market and slowing the pace from what we saw in 2021, uh, that deal value decline is really right now coming from the very top of the market. $290
3: billion in dry powder to be specific. How long do you think they're gonna hold on to it? I mean, when are we gonna see this money more meaningfully being invested?
9: Well, I think first of all, there needs to be some sort of certainty in the market, right? Or at least less uncertainty. Interest rates are still rising. Inflation is still extremely high. The kind of area where the market is as far as where the expectation of valuations from founders and the um, needs of valuation from investors is still a little bit dislocated. Um, so we won't really see a meaningful amount of capital come back um, until that, you know, that uh, you know, kind of deficit closes. From a deal, a dry powder perspective, I think we should look at that as as capital for seed and early stage. That is not meant to support unicorns or support the you know ultra late stage that has come about in the last few years. So, two hundred ninety billion um, is a huge amount of money, but you know more importantly, the high number of small investors that are in the market that have closed funds since the beginning of twenty twenty, I think, is gonna be really important for deal a deal count, especially moving forward. Uh, but again, you know. We'll be looking towards the public markets to help release some of the pressure that's being created at the top of the market uh, before we really expect um, any sort of growth to come back to venture.
3: I spoke with Andrew Yang uh, earlier this week. You know, obviously he goes way back, founded Venture for America, ran for president, has a lot of thoughts about the economy, and he thinks there's a long way, a long way down to go. Take a listen to what he had to say
6: we have a, a, a ways to go uh, on the down slope. I certainly think that uh, folks should try and keep some uh, powder dry uh, you know make sure that you have enough cash to make it through for a little bit longer than you might hope.
3: So he's saying to keep powder dry for uh, a longer period of, of time you know how much farther how much farther down do you think this slope? goes, and how do you think VCs are going to negotiate, you know, not knowing uh, how long this is going to last?
9: Yeah, I mean, as far as, uh, you know, we do see a lag in data from what we see, what we're expecting in the narrative. And so even from right now, I would expect deal counts to continue to slide and deal value slide a little bit more for a few more quarters before it catches up to what we're we're talking about right now in uh, the beginning of Q4. Um, as far as keeping dry powder, I think again a lot of the that unlocking or, or getting that dry powder back into the market is going to have a lot to do with what goes on in the public markets. Um, LPs are very overbalanced right now. Um, they're, they're, they've been putting a lot more money to private equity and venture capital over the past few years. Uh, now with their public portfolio is very much lower than they were last year. I think they're looking at their their VC allocation as a little overweight, and so you know. Having those uh, investors continue to hold on to dry powder, not call it down from LPs, I think is going to be very important until we again see a little bit more certainty in the market, um, see interest rates interest rates you know stop rising um, and inflation kind of start to lower and kind of get to a, a sense of balance throughout the entire market.
3: All right, Kyle Stanford, lead VC analyst at PitchBook. Thanks so much for sharing your thoughts here. Uh, appreciate it. for our crypto report, taking a look at the recent agreement between the government of the Commonwealth of Dominica and the decentralized open source blockchain-based operating system Tron. The Caribbean country has appointed the Tron Protocol as its designated national blockchain infrastructure. Let's talk about that and more now with Justin Sun, ambassador and permanent representative of Grenada to the World Trade Organization and the founder of Tron. Justin, thank you so much for joining us. So talk to us about this new agreement with Dominica. How did it come together and what is the vision?
10: Sure, I believe this is a historical moment for both Tron and Dominica. Since this is the first time a blockchain protocol has collaborated with a Caribbean government on developing the new digital currency infrastructure for the nation. Tron has been a widely used blockchain infrastructure for almost four years now. Today, we have 115 million users uh, with a very uh, big use case on stablecoin transact among 5 to 10 billion U.S. dollars every day. But this is the first time we collaborate with the government and to build their designate blockchain infrastructure, and also at the same time, all the Tron cryptocurrency, including TRX, BTT, NFT, JST, and all the stablecoin, TUSD, USDT, and USDD on Tron, has granted a status of um, median of exchange and authorized digital currency on Domenica
3: what lessons are you taking from el salvador and you know the bitcoin legal tender situation there which has had mixed results
10: yes i think uh, dominica move is definitely uh, a next level compared to the move of el salvador um, because in the el salvador uh, bitcoin tender bill it's only uh, focused on bitcoin uh, I will see, uh, take Bitcoin as a very good tools uh, for value storage, um, but in terms of payment, stablecoin, Web3, and all the new concept comes out, we need a smart contract platform. Uh, we need uh, a new blockchain uh, which with a much much like faster speeds, cheaper fees, and easy. Uh, to develop on it. So that's why I believe uh, we can definitely benefit Dominica people uh, with a more powerful uh, blockchain and the Web3 technology.
3: Given the state of the markets, I'm so curious for your outlook. Are you interested in or trying at all to invest in some of these distressed crypto assets? For example, the Celsius assets that are coming up for sale?
10: yes definitely i think today is a bear market so bear market is for buy right so um so instead of like buying all the crypto assets and assets in the bull markets with a formal uh emotion uh, i think right now is a good time uh, to buy crypto assets when like everybody wants out So that's why I definitely believe there is some good opportunity in the markets now. But, of course, uh, with uh, thorough due diligence, uh, um, which is very important, and uh, the understanding of good understanding of the business in the first place. But for Chuang and myself, definitely uh, right now we are ready for lots of the opportunity now.
3: Are you interested in the Celsius assets in particular?
10: Um, yes, I think we uh, have done some due diligence on um, Celsius before, um, but whether we're going to move forward on this opportunity, I think is still pending.
3: I'm curious about your role in Huobi, obviously another uh, huge crypto exchange. I know you're an investor um, in Poloniex. Um, You know, what can you tell us about Huobi, how competitive you think it'll be, what the new owner uh, plans to do with it, especially given China has basically banned crypto?
10: Yes. Um, So, first of all, um, I'm the advisor to Huobi, uh, and I have joined the company for almost five days now. So I start to get familiar with the team and uh, the policy we're going to adopt in the future I think right now, uh, Huobi has two major focus. One is focus on the HT token, uh, which is the platform token, uh, which I believe is the core value of the platform. Uh, We need to um, push hard on the platform token Huobi, sorry, platform HT. If we want to uh, build Huobi as one of the most important exchange in the world. And also, the second strategy is globalization. Uh, since, as everyone know, Huobi is very famous in China. Before, I think the real success story of Huobi in the next stage is definitely uh, globalization. And also, we are planning to go back to China once China has a has a better policy on, on cryptocurrency. And I think. Huobi will be one of the most um, important um, compatible, sorry, uh, competitive um, um, exchange out there uh, when the time comes.
3: Interesting that you think China's uh, crypto policies will become more friendly. You're not an owner or investor in Huobi, as I understand it, just an advisor. Um, Is that correct? And do you own any, any HT tokens?
10: Yes, I own uh, a lot of HT tokens for sure, and uh, uh, That's I a even lot. how um, many. <laughs> uh, I will say uh, tens of millions. So uh, when uh, even at those HT, I will say uh, some of it I already own uh, before I become the advisor. Since I use like HT since uh, day one. Um, when Huobi first, like, founded in, in 2013, I started to accumulate uh, HT uh, on my own. But right now, I will definitely see myself as uh, one of the biggest HT holder. Um, and also, um, for uh, Huobi, I think definitely for the uh, crypto policy in China, I'm optimistic. Since, you know, um, China uh, is, uh, uh, is facing a big change, I think, in the next month or two, I think after the new uh, leadership, uh, we will definitely see a lot of change uh, in the economic policies and even for lots of industry policy. And I believe crypto and the blockchain it is definitely one of, uh, on, the, on the table.
3: All right, Justin Sun, uh, thank you for joining us, for sharing all of that ambassador and permanent representative of Grenada to the WTO and the founder, of course, of Tron. Coming up, Meta doubling down on its VR ambitions with its new headset, the Quest Pro, more on what the move could mean for adoption across the enterprise with a mixed reality pioneer, Magic Leap, the CEO Peggy Johnson with me next. This is Bloomberg. <laughs>
1: At
7: cuttereconomicforum.com. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message, and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise, and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done.
2: What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher-level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move.
3: Doubling down on the metaverse, unveiling its newest virtual reality headset, the MetaQuest Pro, this week, seeking to transcend the notion that VR is primarily for gamers, but broadened the audience. Joining us to discuss what that could mean for adoption is a pioneer in the space, Peggy Johnson, the CEO of Magic Leap, an AR venture which was founded back in two thousand. Ten, before any of us thought this was really possible, Peggy, what were your big takeaways from Meta's announcements
11: aside from Mark Zuckerberg's avatar legs? <laughs> well, it, basically, it's a real validation of the decision Magic Leap made a couple years ago to focus initially on the enterprise. Uh, the technologies in its current state will allow for an ROI in areas like healthcare public sector and manufacturing. So it really is the right entry point for these sorts of technologies. Satya Nadella, of course the CEO of Microsoft where
3: you spent a very long portion of your career appeared with Mark Zuckerberg talking about bringing Windows 365 to the Quest and Microsoft is forming this industrial metaverse team. But do people really wanna be working on
11: Excel spreadsheets in the metaverse? Well, I do think that is some of the challenge. I, if, if the uh, goal is just to take what we're doing on our 2D screens and put it up in front of us in our physical world, I think you've missed the real opportunity. Augmented reality, actually, you know, you, you continue to view your physical world and then you intelligently place digital content in front of it. So if you're on a factory floor, you can put the digital twin of a machine that's gone offline on top of the physical machine and bring it back online much more quickly so talk to
3: us about the real enterprise opportunities that you see and what sectors
11: you think will get the most traction we've got a whole list of interesting applications one from a company called centi ar and what they do is heart catheterization they used to do it where surgeons Watch the heart on a 2D screen. Now, real time, they've imaged the heart in 3D. The surgeon can put it in front of their eyes, and as they're threading the catheter through the heart, just do it with more care, more accuracy, better navigation, and better outcomes for the patient. Another is a a manufacturing company in the Midwest, PBC Linear. They are having a hard time keeping uh, employees, because of the acceleration of retiring factory workers, they've been able to reduce their training time of new factory workers by about 80% using Magic Leap, also reducing the rework and scrap by about 20%. So really, two benefits. And the new workers like the innovation. This is a PC on their eyes. So for the first time, they get to also enjoy some of these digital tools that we've all had as knowledge workers for years. So last quick question,
3: how far out is the industrial metaverse, whether it's virtual reality or augmented reality, how many years is it going to take before you know, a significant
11: um, number of, of people, businesses are using this technology? That's an easy one, Emily. It's here right now. You can realize ROI right now in these training use cases and 3D visualization use cases. And that's what we're focused on at Magic Leap. Peggy Johnson,
3: CEO of Magic Leap. Good to have you back with us. Thanks for sharing your perspective here today. And that does it for this edition of Bloomberg Technology. Don't forget to check out our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Emily Chang in San Francisco. This is Bloomberg.